and enjoy. Good afternoon. My name is Deborah Blanks, and it is my honor to welcome you to the Princeton University Annual Observance of the Life, Labor, and Legacy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. The MLK Planning Committee works diligently each year to make this program a wonderful success. Please join me in thanking the chair of the committee, Lauren Robinson Brown, and its members for their commitment and dedication that brought us to this day. For several years, we have been privileged to have the Chasm Steel Orchestra with us, and we wish to thank them for providing us with music that moves us in body and soul and stirs the deep places of our lives. Today, we sit in this auditorium once again to remember and pay tribute to a man who was a great American, Martin Luther King, Jr. Every now and then, someone will ask, why do we celebrate the birthday of Dr. King? Why is his birthday a day on and not a day off? Why is it so important to honor a Baptist preacher who rose to national prominence so long ago? In 1988, a columnist for the Orlando Sentinel by the name of Bill Jennings wrote this, just as we need to celebrate the birthday of George Washington to remember the founding of our country and the birthday of Abraham Lincoln to remember the preservation of the Union and the 4th of July to remember the Declaration of Independence, so do we need to remember the birthday of Martin Luther King Jr. to keep alive the story of the civil rights movement in our country. We celebrate Dr. King's moral and prophetic witness in our world by keeping the story of the movement that challenged the conscience and changed the course of our nation alive. The founding of our country is written in the annals of history. The preservation of the Union is secure. And the Declaration of Independence is our democratic birthright. But on this day, we pause to remind ourselves that the journey for justice, equality, and freedom for all people continues even in the 21st century, and if a transformed world order happens in our time, it begins first with us and within us. Welcome. Good afternoon. My name is Terry Harris-Reed. And on behalf of the Office of the Provost, I'd like to join Dean Blanks in welcoming you to today's celebration. Our office is proud to participate annually in this event where we have the opportunity to publicly reaffirm our commitment to community and our dedication to continuing on this important journey. I have the honor of presenting to you today our president, who has a vision of and demonstrated commitment to making Princeton a place of excellence for everyone. Please welcome Princeton University President Shirley M. Tillman. Good afternoon, everyone. Wonderful to see this turnout today. Um, it is really a pleasure to welcome all of you to Princeton University, but most especially to the students who have honored the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King with such compelling words and compelling images. There are also uh, additional special people in the audience that I would like to recognize, uh, beginning with Governor Brendan Byrne and his wife, Jean. Governor Byrne is a, a loyal son of Princeton, a member of Princeton's class of uh, 1949, 
and he and his wife have a very special reason uh, for being with us today. I'd also like to recognize our Congressman Rush Holt, who is here today. Rush, of course, uh, gives all of us uh, the right to have bumper stickers on our car that says, my congressman is a rocket scientist. <laughs> and we have the mayors of our, uh, the three communities in which we are closely associated. Uh, the mayor of Princeton Township, Phyllis Marshon. Phyllis, where are you? The Mayor of Princeton Borough, Joe O'Neill. And the Mayor of, Prince, of West Windsor Township, Shing Pu We're extremely happy to have all of you with us today. We have a special guest today as well, uh, New Jersey's public defender, Yvonne Smith-Seegers and she will speak to us today. We're very grateful for your attendance. Every year we gather in Richardson Auditorium on Martin Luther King Day to honor and remember an extraordinary man who changed the history of this country and in so doing made the world a better place. Dr. King urged us to see our brothers and sisters in every human being, regardless of the color of their skin, their faith, or their socioeconomic status. When he and his colleagues were faced with truncheons, dogs, and fire hoses, when he himself was jailed and vilified, he did not retreat. Nor did he meet violence with violence, but instead, continued his march to the promised land until a bullet ended his journey in Memphis, Tennessee on April the 4th, 1968. All of us have an obligation to continue the journey on which Dr. King embarked with so much courage and faith. We may not be tested in the way the Freedom Riders were in 1961, or the Selma to Montgomery marchers were in 1965. But there are occasions in our lives when we are confronted with injustice. In framing our response to this injustice, the example of Dr. King can guide us, reminding us that love is always more powerful than hate. Journeys form the theme of our celebration today which is symbolized by the hundreds of posters and essays and videos that were entered in our contest, as well as by the Martin Luther King Day Journey Award, which is given for the first time this year to honor members of our faculty, staff, or our student body who have exemplified Dr. King's example in their own personal or professional lives. I am pleased to announce that we have two honorees today. Our first is a member of the class of 2006 and is a true builder of bridges on our campus. Dylan H. Tatz, who attended New York Stuyvesant High School, has a deep commitment to interracial and intercultural understanding as well as the vision and the determination to bring estranged communities together in a search for common ground. As a founder and chair of the Princeton Committee on Prejudice, Dylan has not only spoken out against bigotry, he has also fostered a dialogue between Princeton's African and Jewish American communities. His committee spearheaded last spring's Black Jewish Relations Week, which invoked the spirit of Dr. King and his associate, Rabbi Abraham Heschel, by bringing to the same podium two distinguished scholars, one Black and one Jewish, 
to discuss the past, the present, and the future state of this relationship. Other events included the screening of a documentary, student discussion groups, and a moving talk by survivors of the Holocaust and the Rwanda genocide. These events attracted hundreds of participants and more than a dozen sponsors. And I am grateful to Dylan for raising our collective awareness of the historic ties between African and Jewish Americans, as well as the tensions that occasionally divide them. In the words of Rabbi James Diamond, the former executive director of Princeton Center for Jewish Life, Dylan personifies Dr. King's example of a person who thinks globally and acts locally. As such, he richly deserves the 2005 Journey Award for Special Achievement, and I invite him to step forward now. Our second honoree is a man who needs no introduction, at least among Princetonians. Robert K. Durkee is a member of the class of 1969 and has served as a pillar of our university community since 1972, first as an assistant to former President William Bowen, then as vice president for public affairs, and now as Vice President and Secretary. His wisdom, dedication, and gift with words are well known. But today we recognize his lifelong devotion to the cause of institutional diversity and race relations. This commitment can be traced to his student days, when, as a writer for the Daily Princetonian, he published an award-winning article entitled the Negro at Princeton. In this sensitive study of the black experience on what was then an overwhelmingly white campus, Bob captured the challenges that face his African-American peers and invited Princeton to envision a day when she will become in practice what she aspires to in theory. After graduation as a teacher in Trenton's public schools, Bob immersed himself in the life of a diverse community, and as a senior university administrator, he has helped to make our campus one as well. For Bob, diversity is a fundamental and intrinsic feature of Princeton, not a fashionable catchword. He has done as much as anyone I know to create conditions in which men and women of color can feel at home at every level and in every sector of our university community. Bob was the founding chair of Princeton's Martin Luther King Day Committee, which sponsors the celebration that we are enjoying today. And he has been a driving force behind the Princeton Prize in Race Relations, which recognizes high school students who have worked to increase understanding and mutual respect among nations. He has also been an active member of the Washington, D.C.-based Fair Labor Association, which promotes humane and just conditions in the workplace, both at home as well as overseas. In 1967, Bob wrote that Princeton's colors are orange and black, but the black refers to tiger stripes and not to people. Almost four decades later, our colors are still orange and black. But thanks to Bob and like-minded men and women, we are also a mosaic that is committed to realizing Dr. King's inclusive vision. It is with great pleasure and sincere gratitude that I invite Bob to accept the Journey Award for Lifetime Service.
Thank you. Good afternoon. I'm Lauren Robinson-Brown, the MLK Committee Convener and Director of Communications for Princeton University. I am now privileged to introduce you to this year's honorees in our student contests. New Jersey students in grades 4 through 12 were asked to offer original presentations comparing personal journeys to King's great journey. As we surmised, this was no easy task, and this year we even experienced a slight dip in the number of entries. However, the judges remained particularly impressed with the quality of the submissions, and we received nearly 600. The students we are honoring are outstanding indeed, and include several winners from previous years, including Manisha Bachiera, Saira Bayat, Christian and Sophia Hines and Ellen Kraft. Just as exciting, we have several sibling connections this year, and we're proud that entire families are embracing King's legacy. In the video category, first place honorees Alex and Izzy are twin sisters, and second and third place honorees Anthony and Dominic are twin brothers. You'll also meet Matthew and Chris Bryant, who are brothers, and many of you will remember siblings Sophia and Christian Hines, who between them probably hold a record for wins in the history of this contest. Finally, I'd like to note that we're always pleased when new groups enter, including this year's Rancocas Valley Regional High School from South Jersey and First Baptist Church in Princeton. Now, let's meet our student honorees. The students are going to line up by category, and I will introduce each by name. Please hold your applause until we have announced all of the winners of each category. Presenting the Poster Contest Honorees. Receiving honorable mention, sixth grader, Syra Bayat of Stort Country Day School. Sixth grader, Monica Chan of John Witherspoon School. Sixth grader, Yael Davidoff of John Witherspoon School. Fifth grader, Simon James of American Boy Choir School. Fifth grader, Nicole Keim of Stort Country Day School. Fifth grader, Ryan Lamarca of Yardville Elementary School. And fifth grader, Haley Sapko, also of Yardville Elementary School. The third prize winner of $50 is Lilia Sanzalon, grade six, Stort Country Day School. The second prize winner of $75 is Sherry Gu, grade six, Stort Country Day School. And our first prize winners will share $100. They are Brooke Ferenzi and Sarah Kreitzer, Grade 5, Hollenbrook School. Let's have a round of applause. And now, the 7th and 8th grade honorees in the essay contest. Receiving honorable mention, 7th grader Maya Chabra of John Witherspoon School, 7th grader Alyssa Dittmar of Stuart Country Day School, 7th grader Alexandra Ferreira of Stuart Country Day School, 8th grader Philip Gridzina of the Chapin School, 8th grader Megan Hurley of Stuart Country Day School, who may not be here today, 7th grader Sasank Izola of Community Middle School, and 8th grader Lucy Melvin of First Baptist Church in Princeton. The third prize winner of $50 is Sarah Caswell, grade 7, Stork Country Day School. The second prize winner of $75 is Sophia Hines, grade 7, Crossword South Middle School. And the first prize winner of $100 is Erica Humphrey, grade 7, Melvin H. Kreps Middle School. Let's have a round of applause. Presenting the ninth and 10th grade honorees in the essay contest. Receiving honorable mention, Matthew Bryant, grade 10, Heightstown High School. Neve Clockley, grade 9, Villa Victoria Academy. Kelly Dunham, grade 10, Villa Victoria Academy. 
Brandon Johnson, grade 9, Rancocas Valley Regional High School. Lindy Klinger, grade 9, New Jersey School for the Deaf. Kasuni Nanakara, grade 10, Steinhardt High School. And Claire Wiles, grade 9, Stork Country Day School. The third prize winner of $50 is Yasmin Ebidat, grade 9, Stork Country Day School. The second prize winner of $75 is Birana Pesh, grade 10, Stork Country Day School. And the first prize winner of $100 is Nithia Matthews, grade 9, also of Stork Country Day School. Let's have a round of applause. the 11th and 12th grade honorees in the essay contest. Receiving honorable mention, Manisha Bachichara, grade 12, of West Windsor Plainsboro High School South, who is homesick today. Christopher Bryant, grade 11, Heightstown High School. Ellen Craft, grade 11, Villa Victoria. Rajan Littlepage, grade 12, Trenton High School West, who also couldn't be here, I think. Remy Mihan, grade 11, West Windsor, Plainsboro High School South. Michelle Russo, grade 11, Villa Victoria, who also couldn't join us today. And Kay Zhong, grade 11, Lawrenceville School. Third prize goes to Kristen Nuzio, grade 12 of Stewart Country Day School. Second prize is awarded to Christian Hines, grade 11, South Brunswick High School. And the first prize honoree who we just learned today is the granddaughter of Governor Byrne, and her parents are here as well, Tom, is Megan Byrne, grade 11, also of Stewart Country Day School. We experienced a doubling of entries in our video contest, which we added to the program last year, and which covers grades 7 through 12 in the areas of video and PowerPoint presentation. Our honorable mentions are Claudia Confoy, grade 9, Villa Victoria, Jacob Gonzalez, grade 8, Grice School, and Catherine Rogers, grade 8, Stork Country Day School. The third prize award of $50 goes to Dominic Harrison, grade 9, New Jersey School for the Deaf, and the $75 second prize to his brother, Anthony Harrison, also in grade nine at the New Jersey School for the Deaf. Our $100 first prize will be shared by twin sisters, Alexandra and Isabel Kasdan, who are only in the seventh grade at John Witherspoon School. As a special treat, we are going to show you that first place video. But first, I just want to remind you that information on next year's contest will be posted on the MLK website soon. And that address is www.princeton.edu slash PR slash MLK. Now, let's have one more round of applause for all of our students and their parents, teachers and mentors. We're going to roll the video. Thank you. By and by, oh, when the, morning comes, you know the Declaration of Independence states that everybody is created equal. This should mean that no matter what religion, race, or gender you are, you can do the same thing. Whether you are Jewish or Catholic, Asian or African American, male or female, in America, you are the same. Before Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., African Americans did not have this right. They were treated with disrespect and cruelty. Nobody deserves to be treated like that. When King stepped in, things finally started to look up for African Americans. Since the beginning of time, someone, some race, or some religion has been discriminated against. It wasn't always minorities. Sometimes it was Catholics, sometimes it was Christians, and a lot of times it was the Jews. 
do myself, I am going through my bat mitzvah experience. A bat mitzvah is when a Jewish girl or boy is called to the Bina to read from the Torah. Through the years of religious school, I have learned about anti-Semitism and all the times Jews have been persecuted. In parallel, I have learned about the prejudice that went on with African Americans and realized how similar the two tragedies are. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. fought for African Americans' freedom. For thousands of years, Jews have been fighting for the right to pray, have a rabbi, and to believe in their religion. It was so dangerous for Jews to believe in their faith that they had to convert to a legally practiced religion and pray in secret and hiding. Even in America, it was dangerous for African Americans to do what they wanted to do. To live in a country today that permits people to go to the movies with anyone, no matter what they look like, to eat, to play, to use the same bathroom, to share with anyone they want, means so much to people who couldn't do this to stand up in front of the Jewish congregation as a bat mitzvah without fear of being hurt or arrested means the world to me. Good afternoon. My name is Antoinette Seabury and I'm the Vice President of the Class of 2005. It is my esteemed pleasure to introduce today's keynote speaker, Defender Yvonne Smith Seegers. A defense attorney for 17 years, Defender Seegers has served as New Jersey's public defender since September 2002, leading the office that provides attorneys for indigent clients in each of the state's 21 counties. Seegers has championed the establishment of drug courts in New Jersey, which, give, which gives nonviolent drug offenders a chance to enter highly supervised treatment pro programs as an alternative to prison. She has lectured nationally on policies relating to criminal justice and drug treatment and is a faculty member for the Justice Management Institute, the National Drug Court Institute, and the Drug Court Programs Office of the United States Department of Justice. It is also worth noting that in May 2001, Ms. Seegers received the Professional Woman of the Year Award from the Essex County Club of the National Association of Negro Business and Professional Women's Club, Incorporated. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming Defender Yvonne Smith Seegers. Good afternoon. Thank you, Ms. Seabury, for that wonderful introduction. And thank you, President Tillman, uh, Mr. Bardis, and members of the MLK Committee for inviting me here today to serve as today's keynote speaker in this wonderful celebration commemorating the birthday of Dr. King, who would have only been 76 years old this past Saturday. My congratulations to this year's Princeton University's Journey Award, Mr. Taff, Taff and to um, Mr. Durkee. Uh, and also to the young people today, you are very talented and creative, and you should be honored, and I'm sure your family and your parents are very proud of you. And to, oh, Chasm, this steel band, the fabulous. <laughs> we are also joined here today by volunteers of the AmeriCorps. Uh, my agency was selected as one of the only public defender agency in the country to receive a grant to fund AmeriCorps volunteers in our agency to support our community assistance program. We uh, call them life skills advocates. 
They assist our clients in numerous ways. Very often, our clients are in crisis and are facing very serious legal issues. The LSAs help our clients navigate through bureaucracies related to housing and employment, education, and health care services. Many of our clients find themselves involved in the criminal justice system due to factors driven by poverty. So the role of the LSA is to support the client and to work closely with our lawyers. This can mean the difference between a client remaining with their family or being sent off to jail. So for those LSAs who are present in the room, I'd like to thank you very much for your volunteerism. I'd like to give them a round of applause. We are gathered here today to remember, recognize, and reflect back on the life of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Nearly 40 years after his tragic assassination, Dr. King remains a towering symbol of nonviolent struggle for equality and justice in this land and in this world. Dr. King, as one of the premier leaders of the civil rights movement, helped to shepherd this nation through treacherous times and a dangerous journey toward freedom. And whether we wanted to go or not, like a great tidal wave, our, journey, our nation took that journey. It is America's continuing journey toward equality and justice that we should commemorate today. Dr. King had the power and the passion to set us all in the right direction. The nonviolent movement for equal rights that Dr. King embraced engaged in civil disobedience in order to change the institutions that created and perpetuated two separate and unequal countries within the single borders of America. Although these institutions were agents of oppression, Dr. King did not advocate tearing them down. As a counterpoint to many others who followed, followed him, Dr. King advocated peacefully changing the system from within. It is a philosophy that I've dedicated my own life to emulating. Yes, much of the United States has changed since the late 50s and the 60s. There are no signs displaying that separate water fountains for, for whites and blacks. Most of the overt signs of discrimination and racism have been torn down. In the, in the, in the America of the 21st century, we are a nation where all people, regardless of color, race, gender, creed, ethnicity, can live together, learn together, work together, play together, pray together, and stand up for freedom together. But many of those choices are often impacted by your economic status. Oh, we can live together, but sometimes if you don't have enough money, you can't. We can learn together, but if you're in a segregated school system and, and are educated in a substandard way, your education won't be the same. We can work together, but if you're denied the opportunity to be given a job or to be educated in a field, you won't have the same opportunities. So yes, there is fairness, but there is also injustice and inequality. There is a direct political, historical, and emotional link between the movement that Dr. King led and the Office of the Public Defender, which I head. The Office of the Public Defender is based on the concept, as mandated by the Constitution of the United States and reinforced by the Supreme Court of this nation, of equal justice for all. The poor have the same civil right to legal counsel as, as do the rich. And so you all sit here in this auditorium with this presumption of innocence wrapped around you and protected and have the ability to have legal counsel. Many poor people did not, and institutions like the Public Defender were created. In New Jersey, the statewide office of the Public Defender was born in 1967, a time when the civil unrest was occurring in the streets all over the country. We could see the emergencies. The office grew out of the civil rights movement. It, it is one of the many governmental agencies established to achieve equality in, in the area of criminal justice, just as other institutions were created to seek equality in housing and employment and education and health care.
The promise, the power, and the potential of the Office of the Public Defender is to work from within the system. The New Jersey Public Defender represents between 80 and 85 percent of all individuals indicted on criminal charges in New Jersey. This, present, this past fiscal year, the public defender represented approximately 200,000 clients, those who were unable to afford counsel, and it's very important that they have their civil rights protected. The Office of the Public Defender filed the first case, cases on racial profiling. You may have heard the term racial profiling, but the first case was filed in Gloucester County related to the New Jersey Turnpike in 1990. That eventually led a state court judge to rule that the state police engaged in institutional practice of racial profiling. Now the entire nation understands the problem of racial profiling due to the efforts of this office, your New Jersey Office of the Public Defender. The civil rights structure struggle of modern time is much harder to detect and root out. We are advocates called and entrusted with the responsibility of ensuring that the poor, the disenfranchised, and the marginalized men, women, and children of our society are given a voice. We keep the system in check because we understand that on any given day, Lady Justice can be knocked flat on her back. And it is our absolute obligation to give her mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. Sometimes civil rights can have the wind knocked out of them, and we have an affirmative duty to breathe life back into them. And if you know anything to mouth-to-mouth, -mouth, there's, a, there's, a, there's a rhythm, right? You breathe, then you blow, and you breathe. You all know the rhythm? Kids, you should know that, right? The same rhythm we, th we breathe in our office every day, but the rhythm is about justice and fairness and justice and fairness every day on behalf of our clients until justice prevails. We will continue to breathe life. But our journey is far from over. When this office was created, there was a sense of real urgency. And the emergency is not over. I was I had this epiphany the other day. I was driving down the street, and I heard an ambulance in my rear view, you know, looked in my mirror, saw the ambulance coming, and I immediately pulled over to the side of the road. Now, my father used to drive a Rambler, which didn't have seat belts, and he'd, when the ambulance came, he'd pull over and he'd put his hand in front of us, and everybody would be halted to the side. And as I looked into my rearview mirror, I noticed that not everybody was pulling over. Not everybody had a sense of urgency to stop. People kept driving, and it made me wonder. I was stunned that the other drivers kept on driving. They weren't pulling over or even slowing down. They were either unable or unwilling to react to the emergencies of others. And it made me wonder whether we are losing touch with something very important in our society. If Dr. King were alive today and he was informed that the wealthiest state of, us, of our nation, where the population, the African-American population is 13 percent, but the same African-American population account for more than 63 percent of those in prison, he would no doubt recognize that something has gone awry and that the disproportionate incarceration of people of color in this country is an emergent condition that need be examined and addressed. As a result, New Jersey ranks first among the states in having the widest disparity. Connecticut is number two. And is it a coincidence or is it an irony or something else that these two are also two of the wealthiest, if not the wealthiest, states in the Union. Yes, we have journeyed far toward fulfilling Dr. King's dream of civil rights and racial equality, but economic inequality, the widening economic disparity, and the wealth gap between the poorest and the richest is alive and well. Listen to what Dr. King wrote as he sat in a Birmingham jail 
and he penned this on the margins of a newspaper, and, and he was in, detained at least 39 times. But he says, quote, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. At the core of the American dream is Dr. King's dream of equality and justice that burns like an eternal flame. The realization of Dr. King's dream is the realization of the American dream. The two dreams cannot be separated. We cannot have one without the other. That is what Dr. King understood. That is his genius. That is why his legacy lives on. What Dr. King preached is that equality and justice are, at, are the heart of, and soul of the American dream. In the last few days, I've gone back and reread much of Dr. King's writings, and I really would urge all of you, especially those who have access to the Internet and it's easy to log on and get information, to go back and read some of his writings. Not just I have the dream speech, but his Nobel Peace Prize acceptance speech, and you'll really be rewarded with, with his soaring eloquence in his writing. Read his hauntingly prophetic, I see the promised land speech, and you can't help but to be affected deeply by his commitment. And as our men and women defend our country around the world, his words in Beyond Vietnam are relevant today as they were when it was written in April of 1967. When he accepted the Nobel Peace Prize, Dr. King said, nonviolence is not sterile passivity but a powerful moral force which makes for social transformation. Sooner or later, all the people of the world will have to discover a way to live together in peace and thereby transform this pending cosmic elegy into a creative psalm of brotherhood. If this is to be achieved, man must evolve for all human conflict a method which rejects revenge, aggression, and retaliation. The foundation of such a method is love. How do we attain the American dream of equality and justice for all? There has been a huge increase in the economic inequality in America during the past couple of decades. The Economic Policy Institute, a Washington think tank, maintains that between 1979 and 2000, the income of the households, the bottom 20%, grew by 6.4%, while that income of the top fifth grew by 70%. The family of the top 1% grew by 184%. I hope you kids are all going with the math here. And back in 1979, the average income of the top 1% was 133 times that of the lowest 20%. By 2000, the top of the income, 1%, had risen 189 times that of the lowest bottom percent, fifth. By 2001, the top 1%, just one little percent, controlled 33% of all net worth. Not since before the Great Depression have the wealthiest Americans have had such a large piece of the American pie. Dr. King understood that injustice and inequality breed poverty. A rising tide might lift all of the boats, but the yachts are getting bigger and bigger in their lift. And I just say to you young people, please dedicate part of your time learning to study the consequences of all of America, of the growing disparity between the rich and the poor. Pay attention to those who are less fortunate. Since Christmas, we have witnessed a heartfelt outpouring of sympathy and giving for the victims of the horrific tsunami that has affected so many millions. 
The latest figures show that the death toll is upwards of 162,000, half a million people injured and two million people displaced. We should be encouraged by the collective worldwide response to this tragedy. It has shown us that mankind has the capacity to unite together when others in our global village experience tragedy. But does it take something as catastrophic as the Indian Ocean tsunami to prompt such a response? People are starving all over the world, and it is clear that the world nation has the ability and the capacity to come to the aid of others. Three people die of AIDS every minute, of every day, of every year. My point is that we need to reach out and help others in need, not just when their pain is vividly portrayed across TV screens and newspapers. We need to look around in our own communities and see and react to the suffering of others less fortunate that is, that is occurring right now. We must also extend a helping hand and compassion to our neighbors. Dr. King understood that there are moments when we might have to take a detour from our planned journey. We have to leave our intended path and act immediately, sometimes for others. And when we've offered a helping hand, we can resume our planned journey, because sometimes you may have to walk off the path that you didn't intend to help someone else less fortunate than yourself. Throughout his march towards civil rights, Dr. King was repeatedly counseled to slow down, to stop and wait for equality and justice to come. Dr. King always said no because he knew that equality and justice will never come on their own for those who wait. He knew that equality and justice can never wait. Since we never know when our own journey will end, we should always be guided by Dr. King's example. If we come upon someone who needs immediate help, we should help immediately because we may not get another chance. We must walk with hearts of compassion. In calling for each of us to extend unconditional love to one another, Dr. King said, this call for a worldwide fellowship that lifts neighborly concern beyond one's tribe, race, class, and nation is in reality a call for an all-embracing and unconditional love for all mankind. This oft-misunderstood and often misinterpreted concept, so readily dismissed, by the Nazis of the world as a weak and cowardly force has, na has now become an absolute necessity for the survival of man. When I speak of love, I am not speaking of some sentimental and weak response. I am not speaking of that force which is just emotional bosh. I am speaking of that force which all of the great religions have seen as the supreme unifying principle of life. Love is somehow the key that unlocks the door which leads to ultimate reality. This Hindu, Muslim, Christian, Jewish, Buddhist belief about ultimate reality is beautifully summed up in the first epistle of St. John. Let us love one another for God is love and everything that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth no, knoweth no God. For God is love, and if we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Let us hope that the spirit will become the that spirit will become the order of the day. And finally, Dr. King said, Let us rise up with great readiness. Let us stand with a greater determination and let us move on in these powerful days, these days of challenge to make America what it ought to be. We have an opportunity to make America a better nation. And I want to thank you once more for allowing me to be here with you. Thank you.
A special thank you to our keynote speaker, Yvonne Smith-Segers, for your thoughtful and inspiring words that challenge us to continue the journey. Thank you, President Tillman, for your leadership, commitment, and presence. Thank you, Antoinette Seabury, class of 05, amid a busy schedule of finals for introducing our speaker. And congratulations to Bob Durkee, Dylan Tatz, our first Journey Award winners, and all the student honorees who shared their amazing talents with us through posters, essays, and video presentations. Finally, we wish to thank the AmeriCorps volunteers, CASM, the State MLK Commission, and the Princeton University MLK Committee, and everyone who helped to make this program a success. Friends, we want to thank you for joining us today. And to conclude today's program, CASM will give us one last selection, followed by an audio presentation of Dr. King. Thank you, and we look forward to seeing you again.
Every now and then I wonder what I want them to say. Tell them not to mention that I have a Nobel Peace Prize. That isn't important. Tell them not to mention that I have three or four hundred other awards. That's not important. Tell them not to mention where I went to school. I'd like somebody to mention that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to give his life serving others. I'd like for somebody to say that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to love somebody. I want you to say that day that I tried to be right on the wall question. I want you to be able to say that day that I did try to feed the hungry. I want you to be able to say that day that I did try in my life to call those who were naked. I want you to say on that day that I did try in my life to visit those who were in prison. I want you to say that I tried to love and serve humanity. Yes, if you want to say that I was a drum major, say that I was a drum major for justice. Say that I was a drum major for peace. I was a drum major for righteousness. And all of the other shallow things will not matter. I won't have any money to leave behind. I won't have the fine and luxurious things of life to leave behind. But I just want to leave a committed life behind. And that's all I want to say. If I can help somebody as I pass along, if I can cheer somebody with a word of song, if I can show somebody he's traveling wrong, then my living will not be in vain. 